you just starting your day or did you just get off? They call, I go, you know. So what is it you do? I'm a driver. Oh, like a chauffeur. Anyone I'd know? I hope not. What is your name? Baby. Your name's Baby. B-A-B-Y Baby. Hello and welcome to our special Oscars edition of our Conversations with Sound Artists podcast. I'm Glenn Kaiser. I'm the director of the Dolby Institute, and this is a co-production of the Dolby Institute and the Soundworks Collection. And in this series of conversations, we're focusing a spotlight on the nominees in both the Sound Editing and the Sound Mixing Academy Awards this year. And I'm thrilled to be here with the team on Baby Driver. Um, I say with the team somewhat loosely. I'm in a room in beautiful downtown Burbank with Julian Slater, who is the sound designer, supervising sound editor, and re-recording mixer on the film, right? Hi. Yeah. Uh, and then participating via Skype, uh, we have Tim Cavigan, uh, Hello, everyone from sunny down under. He's uh, currently, uh, you're on a holiday in uh, Australia? Holiday, yeah, yeah, in my brother's apartment in Perth, in Sydney. It's 7.30 a.m., <laughs> so you will have to excuse me. That's great. <laughs> and Tim, so you you mixed the, uh, the dialogue on the film, is that right? Yeah, that's right. I did the dialogue and the foley, and um, we pre-mixed simultaneously. So while Julian was doing the effects and the music, I was doing the dialogue and Foley, and so we'd have to, um, in two different studios. So we'd constantly be swapping our, you know, our mixes and swapping our pre-mixes overnight so that we could hear what each other's doing, so, um, which was pretty good fun. Oh, that's great. Excuse the, yeah. Uh, that's a bird. <laughs> <laughs> it's Australia. It's one of those Australian crows that I've, I've used yeah, many times. Yeah. Crows. And then I'm actually really excited um, to have Mary Ellis joining us uh, in the conversation today as well. Uh, Mary Ellis um, is the production sound mixer. So uh, Mary, you were you were your job was to be on the set recording while the cameras were rolling. Um, and and it's very it's it's kind of rare for these conversations that we have the production sound mixer you know participate with the post production team. So I'm really grateful. You're uh, you're at home in Atlanta where you live and where the film was shot. Yes. So I'm really grateful that for all three of you uh, to, to join us today for the conversation, but uh, um, especially for those of you who are Skyping in. So um, <laughs> I wanted to start. To uh, I want to start with uh, Julian. So you're you're double nominated this year in both the uh, sound editing and the sound mixing categories. So uh, you know I'm going to give you the hard question to start off with because I think a lot of people, maybe even people in the academy, I know what, I know, and I know what that question is going to you be. You know exactly what I'm going to ask. So what is the difference between the two sound categories, and how are you nominated in both of them? Uh, um. It, it, I guess it is hard to distinguish for some people, and 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 uh, kind of rightly so. But but to, to to put it in kind of plain speak, it's it's someone's described it to me like cooking. It's like preparing all the ingredients and getting them measured out and getting them and and all uh, you know getting ready to cook. And then the cooking is the mixing. So uh, you know, as a supervising sound editor, I run the team of uh, I think five or six other editors who work with me. We spend. Um, you know, uh, three or four months preparing all the tracks, the dialogue, the foley, the sound design, uh, and, and getting everything ready. And then we take it to a mix stage to mix. 
Now, what happens invariably these days is that the mix doesn't start from scratch on the mix stage. It's kind of built over the course of the, of the, of the process. You know, You've been um, kind of mixing as you editing, as yeah, editing, as you, you know, build all the yeah, sounds. You right? know, I, I had a I had a seven one uh, monitor. I had seven one monitoring in my cutting room and a mixing desk. I had a little Avid S three, and you know, prior to every temp, you know, I would do a pass on everything to kind of get it in in, a, in as good a state as possible, so that the the temp isn't kind of the scratching their head and figuring out where where everything kind of sits in relation to everything that's kind of done beforehand it's more kind of i like to think that the mix on this was more the creative good bits of figuring out what to do not the problem solving that was kind of done beforehand i'd like to think so right. so it, it's not the days of it being editorial starts here finishes here and when editorial finishes it goes purely to the mix stage and that it's a separate thing it's not the two the two things have become somewhat merged um, but they are two different disciplines. You know, I, 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 I can sound edit, I sound edit, but I also mix. And sometimes I do the two things together and sometimes I do the two things separately. But would you say, would you say that does your approach to sound design and sound editing different because you also mix? I think. Are uh, you think, are you thinking about that? Yes. Are you thinking about the yes. mix while you're cutting? Yes. And, 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 and vice versa. I would say that I also. Uh, I think perhaps slightly differently when I mix because I have the background in editorial and in the supervision. So the two, I, I feel uh, that the two, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's good to have your, 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 your foot in both camps because it, it gives you a peripheral vision sure. for each uh, discipline. All right. That makes a lot of sense. So, Mary, I want to pivot to you for a moment um, and, and ask you, um, obviously, you know, we're talking, we're talking about baby driver, which is, um, I think if, if, if to the casual person, they're going to think of this as a very music driven film. And obviously it is that the music is, is tremendously important to it. Um, so, you know, for your job, which is to be on the set recording the, the dialogue and the production tracks, how was baby driver, you know, unique? What were the challenges of it, especially in thinking about the, the, the music, uh, aspect of it was that was that an element that you played back on set oh absolutely and of course we had our editor film editor paul on set with us so he was taking um the video and then his first assistant was doing a film overlay to match that so um initially when i got the script and went to meet edgar i had broken the script down into every car and every song and 31 of the 32 were already cleared which is Never the case with my job. That never happens, And yeah. uh, so that was pretty impressive. And um, there was so much that, of the background that was in sync to all this music. Our big challenge was, you know, how do we deliver that, keep the dialogue clean? Um, our number one actor was not fond of earwigs. And uh, fortunately, the Comtex and the phone are about the same size and profile. And in most of the scenes, he's wearing earbuds. So were you so just piping this, we, you know, with, sorry, you, with, so you were just uh, piping yeah. stuff directly into the earbuds for him. Yeah. So we cannibalized a left one and put an earwig in that for when they had to be taken out. And we did the same thing with the right ear. Uh, so we had very rarely had to use earwigs with him, which was great. Um, we built a thumper thump that would work under the front seat of a car because the cars were very small. 
the trucks played in most of the scenes. We didn't actually get to use that. We got to try it once, but uh, so we went in with the idea that every single scene was going to be a huge challenge. The first thing we shot was Harlem Shuffle, and it was three and a half city blocks, uh, one one take, steady cam move. Well, so 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 stop right there for a second, because I definitely wanted to. I, I in my notes here, I was like, I want to talk with Mary about Harlem Shuffle. So okay. this is, you know, obviously the movie. The movie opens with the big, the first big bank heist sequence, and I definitely want to come back and talk about that. But sort of the kind of the main title sequence after that is um, Baby, uh, who's played by Ansel Elgort, goes out and gets the he gets the coffee, and then he comes back for the kind of the 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 post heist talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and the, the music for that sequence is Harlem Shuffle. It plays out as one. Did you say three and a half, three minutes? It was sequence? almost five minutes. It's four minutes and change. And it's one. one shot. So it's a one continuous shot. shot. So I really wanted to right. just basically, you know, let's talk about Harlem Shuffle. Like that day, how did you set it up? You know, this is obviously it's a long continuous tracking shot to music playback. So just walk us through how that scene got set up and how you executed it. Well, it was very interesting because I am fortunate enough to get to go on the tech scouts, which are usually a month before. So, you know, we mapped it out. Obviously, there's nobody there but, you know, the department heads. And they told us where they wanted to put us. And I kept saying, nothing's going to work from this far away. The radio mics are not going to work. The steady cam receiver is not going to work. You know, so there was this beautiful alley. And it was about the halfway point. But it was so gorgeous. I knew at some point they were going to want to shoot into it. Because we pushed him, we pulled him, we did 180s, we did a 360 in the coffee shop to introduce Lily James. Uh, so we had thumpers set up in the coffee shop for that dialogue. And um, when you say what's a you, you said you set th- you set up thumpers in the coffee shop, what does that mean? Well, we killed the music so we could get the dialogue cleaned, and it was just a couple of lines in there, which was fortunate. And then went back to full speakers. We had speakers. Uh, hidden behind city garbage cans, plants. My boom operator is standing in the scene on the phone. And then once we get into the 180 where it gets a little tighter, he's booming the street preacher, the woman yelling at the thing, and that sort of stuff. But it was interesting because we had a rehearsal day on a Friday. We shot it on a Saturday, obviously, to get the access for that almost four city blocks. And um, we were next to a federal courthouse, so they wouldn't let us play the music. So we rehearsed without music. <laughs> wow. Wow. So I was very happy that that was day one of the production and that it was successful and it was in the rearview mirror. Wait a second. So that was that was the first day of the shoot? Yes. Oh my, and it was probably and it was probably just about the hardest thing in the entire yes. schedule. Yes. So it's, it's, so but the nice thing about it was all these departments worked so well with me. Like I said, they let me be in the alley. The production designer dressed us out. Because it had to be a daisy chain of myself, video, and editorial, and Pro Tools playback. My, my trailer ended up with seven carts on it every night. 
uh, once you loaded it, you, you hoped you didn't forget your car keys. <laughs> it was so crowded. Wow. So, but yeah, Edgar was very helpful. Paul was great. It was great to have him in the trenches with me because he knows what Edgar was looking for. He knows what Julian was looking for. Julian communicated to us all the time when we were thinking, we'd get in a pickle and go, how do we approach this? Um, one of the things I did early on, because I could tell from my interview with Edgar that sound was extremely important to him, and he loves train tracks, um, <laughs> that everywhere we went, well, actually, I took a recorder on the tech scout. And once we got our you know, groups divided, I would just go record the ambient noise of the location for as long as I could. And on every scene we had, like Carlin Shuffle, I would put up a mic and just put it on an ISO track far enough away not to get dialogue, uh, especially when we didn't have music. And I, it, I, it would roll every time we rolled. So essentially, it was just a new way of doing room tone, which we never have time to get anymore. So uh, it that was my hope. I don't know if it worked well for Julian and Tim or not, but we, we tried it all the time whenever we possibly could. So, yeah, it was an interesting scene. 21 takes. 21 and takes on Harlem all Shuffle. we did that day. And I just love our Steadicam, our A-camera operator, Roberto. So it was lovely. It was great. You had that great feeling of day one of like, man, I am on something terrific. It's going to be butt-kicking, but terrific. Mary, that was just so so amazing to hear, uh, because very rarely do you actually sort of get to talk with the sound recordist as a mixer, and so to hear those tales, I'm sort of I was just spellbound listening to you there. It was incredible. <laughs> I have to because I was actually thinking on that very first section that you're talking about, how on earth did they do this? And when you're saying that your you know your assistant was stood talking on the telephone and then became it's like it's so fascinating to hear, Mary. That's great. Well, I knew I knew when I saw that sequence that <clears throat> that you, uh, you you obviously had your hands full with trying to because you know there, there would have been an also an easy way to just say okay well we're not even going to try to get clean dialogue we'll loop this later and just focus on having all the actors hit their beats with the music playback but it was it seems like it was also really important to Edgar to try to capture uh, the dialogue uh, and, and get good recordings as well. At certain times it was, he seemed to be more comfortable, especially that being day one, to do it with the music first and, and then to know he had what he wanted. And and he would always, whenever he could, give me an opportunity to get the dialogue clean. Uh, the other actors were very good about wearing earwigs, which was helpful. Um, and it's like the money counting scene with Kevin Spacey and stuff like that. They all wanted them because they all wanted it to be flawless. Well, so. I want, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that, too, because so much of the film, you know, obviously, even in, you know, I, I kind of tend to think about it as a musical, because even if the characters aren't singing, they're performing in sync with music on the on the set. So they're they're counting the money. They're walking to the beats of the music They're, You know, so um, how, how much of the of the shoot were you actually um, had you know music playback on set, and 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 was that a difficult thing to integrate into your process? No, because I had a brilliant guy here named Alex Lowe, and I told uh, Edgar when he decided to hire me that I thought we should have Pro Tools every day, and if we found towards the end of the day we weren't using them, we could you know cut Alex loose. He would wouldn't hurt his feeling, but I just felt like because of the schedule, there were so many nights for all the car stuff. Uh, 
And I think it and plus we gave Edgar a feed that had dialogue and music into his context. So he had a little bit of, you know, that little rough mix, which he seemed to enjoy and seemed to help him figure things out. So we actually hired Alex for the entire show. He was there every day. And it was such a blessing. So I met a little resistance with that production, but you know, Ed, Edgar shoved them to it. So. <laughs> he made the he made the he made the case. Um, other than Harlem Shuffle, were there any particular sequences? Like obviously, the you know, Tequila was a big kind of musical uh, music driven scene. Um, but were there other other particularly challenging scenes for you from a production recording standpoint? Tequila was particularly challenging because we wanted the gunshots, the flashes of the gunshots, to be in sync with the music too. Get him, baby! Don't let him get away. Do something. Get him. Get us out of here, baby. Let's move. Come on, let's go. Move. So I provided time code to, um, of course, the cameras when we were shooting Alexis in the parking lot, video says Paul of editorial and a time code feed to the dimmer board. So, so everybody had, you know, the feed. So, uh, yeah, that one was hard. I'm trying to think, uh, the, uh, the one, the baby song in the diner, because that we, we ended up editing that on the fly somehow. But again, like I said, Alex pulled through, gave Edgar what he wanted. Edgar, a lot of times, would change the speed of the music. So that was always, you know, again, on the fly. So uh, it was all very challenging. You know, every day it was like, okay, have we thought of everything that may come up. Well, and obviously, you know, there, there too, you've got, a, you've, got this com- you've got this sort of, this gag in the script of, Baby makes recordings of what people are saying. Then he integrates. Right. Then he integrates those into songs. But then you got a se- you got a sequence later in the film where that song gets played back. You know, uh, and, and, you know, was he slow? Was he slow? So yeah. how did that come? Was that a pre-record that you guys or did did you actually take the re- recordings from the set on the day and then build the song and then play it back later? How how did that particular song and sequence come together? Julian, didn't we record it early and yeah. then you got it and then you made the uh, mixtape? Yeah, well, so that 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 was he was he slow is Kid Koala. That's the, who who's the Canadian DJ. So who who's done stuff for Edgar before? So he pre the shoot did the mixtape, took the tracks, and uh, and reworked them. The actual was he slow vocal from Kevin? That's a good question. I think that was no, then. That was- t- that was from Kevin. Yeah. And we sent it to you, and then we rearranged the tape for us to play it back through Pro Tools yeah. on the day later. So it's a, complete, it's a bounce between pre, 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 yeah. So did they did they record the Kevin Spacey vocal pre-shoot, or was that? No, on the day. It just happens that the schedule was such that I could get that in a timely fashion and Got get it. it to them. Got it. Got it. So that scene so Happy scheduling accident, I call it. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. So the hilarious thing is that Mary, you haven't met 
Julian or Tim. This is the first time yep. that you guys are all sort of talking together. Exactly. But, but yeah. you, did you, did, you, did, you, did you, Julian, did you and Mary have conversations before the shoot? Yeah. Did you ask her to like gather specific recordings and stuff? Because you, you weren't able to go no. to location. To yeah. I mean, I think we must, I think we had several chats about technicalities of how to do stuff. One of the things that I wanted Mary, that, that, I was keen to get was all the recordings of those cars because there could be gold there. Sure. Um, and, um, uh, you know, we ended up spending two days on a racetrack. Uh, not me, because I'd have loved to have done it. But, um, okay. uh, you know, which wasn't cheap to do. But again, you know, when you've got a director like Edgar who, you know, understands how important the sound process is, you've got a better chance of getting that through the budget committee so sure. yeah we spoke several times I mean we've never I've the first time I've seen uh, Mary and, <laughs> and had a chat with her uh, uh, of anything of any substance really but um you know because it is it's how it always works you know Mary's at one end of the spectrum and I'm at the other end of the spectrum and very rarely do our paths meet right right so yeah yeah the Atlanta Motor Speedway was fantastic I mean we put microphones in manifolds and everything we and it wasn't cheap we had a stunt driver a medic an AD uh, a picture car person. So yeah, it was, it wasn't cheap, but it was so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, but for this particular movie, I would, I, I would say it was, it was indispensable. I mean, you had to have all that material. Right? Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting. It's things like, you know, that, that Subaru, I know nothing about cars. I know literally know where to put the gas in, in, in my wife's car. Cause I'm electric. So I don't even know, really know how to put the gas in anymore. But so the Subaru WRX has got this thing called a dump valve, which every time you kind of rev it, it goes, and of course, if you're going to do a movie that's all about syncopation to the to the music, it turns out we tr we tried using that, but when it goes every three, it then breaks the rhythm of the. So we ended up with this, even though we got these great recordings of the Subaru WRX from that from that actual one, that's actually not featured that much in that particular that that particular sequence because of that very that the happening all the time. Sure. So, but you know, things like the the the, uh, the the Yukon truck in the neat 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 scene and uh, Doc's Mercedes and yeah, I mean, there's there's a whole variety of stuff that that we got every single angle on. And I'd probably needlessly because Mary would have got it anyway. But I wrote this whole thing of you know up and past at five miles an hour, ten miles an hour, fifteen, twenty five thing and from this angle, doing this, doing that. Doing, you know. This oh, so you gave her a laundry list. There was a whole like... laundry list which probably was not necessary, but. You know, to make sure if you're gonna, they're gonna, all that money is gonna get spent. We we got, we got to justify it. So that we totally got it from every sense. angle. Yeah. So I, I want to take a just a, a quick step back, uh, Julian. So um, you you've been doing you you've been doing this sound design and editing for a. Long I was called time. a veteran, uh, a, a veteran for the first time last week, and I don't know how I feel about that. There you go. But yeah. <laughs> but I think one of the things that so so you know we we did a uh, another podcast episode a few months ago, which was a conversation with you and Edgar, and in that in that conversation we really focused on that was really about directors and their long term relationship with their sound artists. So yeah. we talked about all the movies that you guys have done because you started with Edgar almost from the very beginning mm -hmm. which we, you know you guys did Shaun of the Dead together yep. and this is what your what fifth or fifth, I think. fifth film together yes so obviously you're part of Edgar's core team yeah and I believe what you know we talked about in that in that particular episode that so he called you or you at what point did you get involved in this film did you read the script and talk with him about it before he went out and shot yeah T tell us a little bit about that process yeah i mean uh we uh, the, uh you know 
you get flagged about his projects as soon as he knows he's going to do a particular project he's very he's very good in getting you know me involved as early as possible um and uh we met and we had breakfast and we talked through uh he, he was very keen i just finished mad max and he was he was in fact i was i think i may have still just been doing finishing off mad max and he was keen uh, to meet with George Miller. And I, uh, un unbeknownst to me, it was because of the practical use of cars and lack of CGI. And also, he's a, he's a big fan of George. So, um, uh, you know, we talked through the kind of the, the outline of what, what it was going to be and how to do it. And, and, you know, we didn't get into too much specifics. And it's funny, after the nomination, uh, Edgar tweeted this because I reminded he 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 called me to congratulate me at literally at five thirty five in the morning when the <laughs> nomination came out, and um, I reminded him that I bumped into him at a BAFTA screening here in LA for a movie called Pride that I didn't know he was going to be at. Um, he just happened to be there, and I was in the restroom and I bumped into him and I was like, "Hey, wow, great to see you!" And he said, "I know what I'm doing next. It's it's it is Baby Driver, and it's going to be your your sound opus. It's going to be the it's going to be it's going to be the thing that's really gonna you're going to get your teeth into, and it's you're, it's going to be amazing for you. Oh, and he fantastic. was you know, he he was right because it's you know a sonic playground that we all got to play in. So yeah. And he had been thinking about uh, he'd been working on the script for a long time. Yeah, I think I think he'd been working on it. I, I know he'd had the idea. I think he said twenty something years ago. Amazing. Uh, I know he did the first. Uh, started working on it 10 years ago, which kind of makes me wonder the, the, how many other things he's got, you know. <laughs> what, what else he's got I in remember between movies seeing, seeing him and he'd written Tintin. Like, just, oh yeah, I've, he'd, he'd done Tintin. So he's, he's, he, he is prolific in, in, with his ideas and stuff. So, yeah. Do you remember, uh, um, what were some of those first conversations that you had with Edgar about the film in terms of, of because obviously people think about it in terms of music, but it's also there's great sound design. In the yeah, film. well, you know, there's a, there's a few things about it that make it unique. Not least the fact that the syncopation of of the, of the design, the sound to the music at that particular moment. Right. And it's interesting. I I did a. I don't think. I think most people. You know, I I, I was always torn about how in your face we make that. And, and, and I did a little video a couple of nights ago, just showing one eight-second sequence within the within the uh, bell bottoms track, and soloed three of the police sirens that are that are that are that are happening at that time, and all three are in sync. And I think most people think it's just the odd footsteps and the gun, right? And the guns in tequila and a few of the gunshots that are in sync. It's right. it's all happening in sync. The all engine the, revs, all the sound effects, not a hundred percent, but it, but uh, the vast majority of it is. But we've done it in a way that is it's it's pretty it's subtle sometimes because we're aware that it hadn't been done over the course of a whole movie. Right. You know, I I have personally done it with Edgar on the uh, "Don't Stop Me Now" sequence in Shaun of the Dead with the with the sure. cues. And also, on and you guys have been playing with that uh, even in Scott Pilgrim. Yes, in Scott Pilgrim, we well, did right? it. And the Roxy fight, there was a whole thing where all the vocals, every time, uh, all the vocal stuff, we then kind of delayed and put in into the music, the dance track that was happening. So we've done it, but obviously, I don't think anyone has done it to this degree. And you just have to be very careful if you're going to do that. It doesn't become a trick that the audience gets bored with, and that was the thing. And 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 whether. We were right to do it that way. I suspect 
I, I, I hope we were right. I think it seems to be that we were right. But if you watch it again, there, there are, there, there's a dog walking past before one of the bank jobs that's walking and panting in sync with the music. It's all happening. I mean, a lot of it's happening, but it's just very subtle so that, you know, it's not something that you just get tired of. And you certainly don't, you don't, when it, but it doesn't call attention to itself no. the first couple of times you no, see the film. No, no, and that, 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 that was a deliberate thing in, in the same way that the tinnitus sound is not something that's just, you're doing that, because I think there's an awful lot of tinnitus, but the sound of tinnitus is, is sometimes it's the high-pitched ringing, sometimes it's brake squeals, sometimes it's Stephen Price's held strings. Right. It, the, the mechanism that we use to convey tinnitus is... It, ch it changes throughout the movie, as does its intensity, depending on baby's stress levels. And again, it was it was my it was Dan, my dialogue uh, supervisor, who's uh, a few years younger than me. Like literally, straight off, said we cannot have that high pitched ringing in the cinema at that level because people are just going to be you know anyone under twenty five is going to be holding their ears. <laughs> right. So we had to figure so this out. Was, this was the this this is the positive side of getting older. The was. positive side of getting older. So we we knew that we had to change. You know, because to me it's that it's that Saving Private Ryan sure. concussed sound or the Call of Duty when you play Call of Duty that high pitch ringing. Yeah. But again, if you're going to do that over the course of an entire movie, you've got to be very careful. There's lots of devices that we use in the movie that we have attempted, and I I hope we've been successful in doing it in such a way that it does not become tiresome to the audience member because the whole point of what we were doing was to, to use the soundscape to uh, make you go on a journey with baby and for you to hear the world as per baby's perspective. Sure. Uh, I'm going to come back to the tinnitus um, in, in, in a moment, but I, I want to I, I uh, draw Tim into the conversation now. Um, and, and specifically, I, I wanted to ask, so Tim, you and, this, you and Julian, this was your first time mm -hmm. working together. So, and on the mixing stage, how did you guys divide up the work? Who was doing, who was doing what? Well, of course, because Julian had pre-mixed the music and the effects, he was on the right-hand side of the console. He took care of those. And what would happen is I would do a dialogue and Foley pass and step back. And that would just basically be a template for Julian to mix against. Um, he would then put his music and sound effects against those. Um, and there'd obviously be needing areas where I needed to come back on and then tweak because obviously there's areas where the music and sound effects are so pretty loud. And so that would happen. We, we would like ping pong. I would have a go. Then he would kind of like do his stuff. Then I would come back on and fine tune and mix my stuff against, you know, against his effects and, and music. And, and so each sequence was like a little chapter of a book, as it were, and we would just literally have two or three goes each and then fine tune and then move forward and sort of, he would comment on some of the stuff I'd done. And, uh, and that's how it was. It was just like finally, 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 just sort of chipping away at something. And Tim, um, it's fair to say yeah. you would normally do dialogue and music, right? That's kind of your thing. Yes, absolutely. It was completely... It was something new for me because, as you said, I would do dialogue and music, and then the guy to the right would do effects. But um, on this on this film, it seemed correct that the music and effects were such an integral part of it, and so and we're so married together. 
It wouldn't yeah. have made sense for me to have the dial of the music at all. And to it made your utter sense for you to. And to, and to your point about Sorry. when when does mixing start and and editing stop? Like for example, every sound that we used and 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 manipulated to work with the the music, we would then do a mix of it in the cutting room to figure out how it worked. So, so the whole process, the, the, the effects and the design and the music were like this one thing. They had to be. Because sometimes so, some sounds were so musical, if they were mixed in such a way, they were so musical, you didn't appreciate them as a piece of sound, a sound effects. Sure. It just sounded like part of the score. So, um, yeah, because the, the two things were like that, it just made sense to, for me to take care of the, 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 the music and the effects and then Tim to take care of the, the dialogue and the foley, which is not traditional... Uh, I, I believe for, for most movies, but it seemed to be, it seemed to be the, the logical thing. Well, on this particular film, I think it, it made a lot of sense. And I, I, I did want to ask you about that because, you know, I, I've now watched the film, you know, I've watched it a couple of times and then every time you and I have a conversation, I'll go back and watch it again to kind of refresh it for myself. And I, I have a really hard time in this movie, oftentimes knowing what is music and what is sound design, Great. which to me is really fun. That's, yeah, and to that's, me that's the, that's, that's the biggest compliment you could give because that was the absolute intention. Right, right. And you guys, before we recorded, you said um, that you and, and Tim had gone through, what, three temp mixes before you came back again to do yeah, that? Yeah, I think, right, Tim, didn't we do, we did three temp mixes in total down at Yeah, Tottenham? we did. Yeah, a three. And the beauty of that was because we mixed in the box, um, everything was just being more and more honed as we got nearer and nearer towards the final mix so that we weren't throwing anything away that we were going to use later on. And, uh, and it just it just felt such an organic way of doing things. Yeah, you know, and to the, that thing about building the mix, you know, Edgar would come into my room and we'd look at, say, the never going to give you up in the diner with the Barry White and, the, and, and Buddy confronting them. Right. You know, we would work on that and I would do fader moves that actually probably made it through to the print mark. I mean, literally, stuff that was done in my cutting room made it through all the way through to the final at the end. So, so that thing of you know it being this continual thing, which I know is not unique these days, and a lot of, a lot of people work like that. But it, it that just makes complete sense. Well, but it, it's it's yeah. I mean, I, we're happy that it's not it's no longer unique. But certainly, you know, we've been around long enough to to know that that's not the way it, it always yeah. is done. Yeah. And 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 you know, certainly. You know, I've seen a lot of mixes where, you know, it's a different team on the final mix. They haven't done the temps. They haven't, they don't know the material. And so the way you guys did it is much more efficient. And I think yields a much better creative product because you're, you're making decisions all the way through and not just doing a lot of work and then throwing it out and then having to recreate. Yeah. I mean, what I would say as a supervisor mixer is I try and pride myself on not, of, 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 the plus side of it is, you know, me and the director at that point have three, four, five, six, seven months worth of conversations, even just passing each other, you know, in the corridor of the cutting rooms right. that I've banked up there. Right. But you have to be very careful, and I, I try, and I believe I do this, is not then just being overprotective about the material. As soon as you get to that dub stage, you do what is right for the for the movie and sure. for, at that, and it's not the fact that if I've spent three weeks working on a piece of sound design the perfect piece of sound that design. has to go in yeah. you know yeah. you've got to you've got to you, do, you have to do this kind of trick of, of of you know get getting rid of 
of starting from scratch again mentally and then looking, you know that the pieces are going to work, but not being wedded to anything and, yeah. and being doing what's right at that particular point for the movie. Well said. So you were pretty good at that. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> no, no, you were pretty good at that. You would, um, you would often, yeah, we, we'd be going through the mix and you'd say, is that too much or is that too little? Or is, do we get away with that? And you weren't too bad when, you know, yeah, I, I might say. Yeah, and no, I know. Yeah, and I, you know, and I know there are other people who do what I do who aren't necessarily like that, and it's and it's all about prote protecting their 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 patch, and and uh, and it, you know, it shouldn't be. I, I, that's an abuse of power, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> so I, so I have a question now. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm actually gonna turn our two laptops to to face each other partially. So. Mary is on the set. She's re she's responsible for recording the production dialogue and, and the voices of the actors. Obviously, that material then ends up in Tim's hands to mix the dialogue track. Now, it's very, very rare that the dialogue mixer actually gets to talk to the production sound mixer. So now you guys are face to face virtually between Australia and Atlanta. You know, Tim, what, what do you have to say about Mary's production tracks and how did, how, you know, what, how, how did she do? I say, how on earth did you get what you got? I mean, blowing heck, the sequences were so complex to actually have what you had was amazing. And so, I mean, we there was some ADR in the movie, but very little. And so I thought you did remarkably well. And as you know, as he says, you very rarely get to see computer to computer. So I'd say thank you. Um, it was just so amazing to actually sort of like hear your story about that first section as well. Because um, as I was dialogue premixing those and going through the various crowd sections, you can't help but think, how on earth did they do that? And so that was probably the most intriguing that I've heard on all of these podcast things. So thank you. Yeah, well, you're welcome. Yeah, we had some challenges. Uh, Edgar was not afraid to put me in horrible locations for sound. Uh, the Doc's Loft, for instance, had four working train tracks within 70 feet. Uh, so, and the glass was old. I mentioned replacing the glass, but of course they loved the look of it. So that was a no go. Um, so yeah, the tech scouts are very important. I try to fix what I can for you before we start shooting. Uh, but on this one, it, how did you do that? What were you doing? It, it, this one, it was all about the look and the music. So I did a lot of a mixing of wires. Everybody was always wired and booming instead of trying to match camera perspective, just to keep the noise floor the same for you. So that was kind of my main approach to what I was doing on location. Never the twain shall meet. This yeah. is good. It worked. Well, I, yeah, worked. I, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm surprised to hear, Tim, that there was so little ADR in the film because obviously, you know, there are car chases and big effect sequences and, and, um, and it's, it's super hard to get good clean dialogue can I just say that, and it's not by accident. It's not by accident that Mary was doing it because there was Egg is very good by letting me get, like uh, go through candidates, and I did my homework on Mary. I I, I, I talked to other dialogue mixers who'd worked with uh, Mary's tracks, uh, and and got the thumbs up. So it's it's no coincidence that Mary got the stuff on the day because I I I. I I calculated that she would, so. 
Well, yeah, and, and, and we should obviously <laughs> sing Mary's praises a bit. You know, Mary has worked on Prisoners and Footloose and Zombieland. I mean, you're, you're, this is not your first time at the rodeo. You've, you've, uh, you, you've, you've handled some difficult shoots before in the past. Yes, I did Hidalgo, which was pretty difficult in the Moroccan desert. Um, uh, a favorite of mine is October Sky. Uh, it's a coal mining town. Uh, but I had great locations, great ADs, great electricians. When we were in the coal mine, they put the generators at the school. When we were at the school, they put the generators at the coal mine. So even though we were on a mountaintop where you could hear for miles, uh, we got incredibly clean dialogue. I had the luxury of having two great boom operators on that. So that was not much of a wireless show. It always depends on your locations and your lockups for me and how willing people are to, to help you with that issue. Um, but, yeah, it's fried green tomatoes was my first big break and i actually got to have the steam train for four hours we had booked it for three days and they were going to send it home and i was like wait 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 <laughs> let me use it for the next four hours so uh i think having a post-production mentor who was very good at teaching me what to do and what not to do uh, one thing he's always taught me was to not try to re remix in the field. Uh, you're wearing headphones. Do it as clean and as flat as you possibly can. Use great microphones. And let these geniuses like Tim and Julian take your work and make it better. So, <laughs> team effort, Mary. Team, team effort. Yay. Absolutely. Well, I, I know, you know, from the previous conversation, you know, when we talked with Edgar, I know that one of the things that was really important to him was when he got to Atlanta, he understood that that you know this was a place that had its own indigenous sounds, and he wanted to. You know, I think a lot of these places that people go to and shoot, <clears throat> they're they're shooting it so it feels nondescript, or yeah. they're shooting it so it doesn't necessarily feel like the place. But Atlanta actually is really important to the film, um, and so uh, I, I just wanted to uh, just ask you guys both about about that part of the process and and what were the sound what were the indigenous what are the sounds of atlanta that we should listen to in, in the film well trains are a very important part of it atlanta was formerly called terminus because all the railroads things terminated here uh we have a new streetcar system that's you know doesn't get used much but it makes some unique sounds throughout the downtown near the post office that we shot at those places uh, uh, the red lights, he particularly liked the, the, the chirping for the uh, uh, blind for the red lights. So, I mean, everywhere we went, I, I knew his mindset, so I looked for that kind of stuff. I mean, I would go put a mic on just the signal crossings or just stick something out there so that every time we rolled, we heard the streetcars or the chiming of that stuff. And again, like I said, everywhere we were, where we had trains, I would get a microphone near those working trains away from dialogue, just so I had sort of a room tone. The other thing that's big here is the interstates. Uh, baby's apartment, you can literally see I-20. So when we were there, even though we didn't have any dialogue on the second floor, we stuck a microphone out the window on the second floor just to get that. So I wanted to kind of pivot back, Julianne, and just ask you a little bit about some of the sound design moments. And, and for me, um, you know, from the very first frame of the film, with the you know with the the film company logos mm -hmm. um there, you're present for at that very moment and there's some really interesting sound design stuff that's happening um even as the movie uh first opens yeah. 
And we talked a little bit, you brought up the tinnitus, and I wanted to ask you about that because for me, one of the one of the ways in which sound design becomes really, really kind of interesting is when you use it as a tool to go inside the head of a character uh -huh. and experience the world the way they're experiencing uh -huh. it. So Baby has this condition, yeah. and you guys set it up from the very, very beginning of the movie. So I was just, uh, I, I know we talked about this last time, but I wanted to hear you again kind of just walk us through that first couple of like 90 seconds or two minutes of the film and what's happening. What's interesting, Mary, Mary talks about the trams and the, because actually on the working title logo, you hear a tram bell going ka-ding, ka-ding, which was something that Edgar wanted to put in to, to, to get that Atlanta uh, feel in there from the very beginning. Um, I really wanted to... The, the, so what what happens is is you have the Sony logo that we repitched so that it turns into the sound of tinnitus. So the, the the Sony logo pings, it rings out, and that reverb tail is like an infinite reverb tail that turns into tinnitus. They say tinnitus here, Tim, not tinnitus. So <laughs> he's probably wondering why I'm saying tinnitus. Um, and that in turn turns into Stephen Price's strings, all in the same uh, key. That then, out of Steve, while Steve's strings are still playing, the the brake squeal of the Subaru that pulls up is kind of in a reverse echo thing. So that's in the same key that pulls up, and then that then turns into the uh, the beginning of bell bombs. One of the reasons for doing that, other than it's really cool, is, is that we wanted the audience, their ears to be pricked up at the, the, from, the first thick, from the first frame. Right. So, so hopefully what happens is, is that you know, you, you're, you, the lights go down, you're, you're rustling with your popcorn and stuff, and then within the first 60 seconds, you understand that something kind of, sound is an important part. The point of that was to, to try and convey that this movie uh, sound is important, and sound sure. and and sound is something that you you need to uh, uh, register. Yeah, yeah. Well, I you know, and I think for a lot of the audience that is not professional sound people, they don't necessarily maybe get you know they don't think about that sure. consciously, but yeah. you know, but it, it it is important that I, I think it sets the mood and the tone at the very beginning. And certainly for me, I think I probably listen with different ears than most people do. Right. But when I, from the opening seconds of the film, for me, I just got really excited because I thought, oh, 
I'm going to hear something really interesting. Right. Now. These are these That's are right. these are artists who are playing at the top of their game, and this is going to be an adventurous, really probably unique track. And obviously, you know, I've been a fan of Edgar's work and your work with him for a long time over these films, and and they've always been very interesting design tracks. Yeah. But this was really it. Kind of felt like the culmination of a lot of stuff that you guys had been working on through and ideas that you had been playing with on previous films. Yeah, you know, Edgar, uh, Edgar said in interviews that um, even though he had this, you know, he's had this idea rattling around in his brain for 20 years and a bit more seriously for 10 years, and it's the movie that's made the most amount of money, like the biggest box office, and it's kind of this irony. He said he doesn't, you know, he said he, he he's not sure if he was, he could have made something like this without the previous four movies worth of experience. And I kind of agree with him like from my perspective. You know, I, it, it takes, you know, it takes a certain amount of knowing how to tackle certain problems and, and, and even knowing when to leave something if it's not working and move on and then circle back to it. It's, it's the same thing. So, um, so yeah, it's, uh, it, 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 to me, the biggest compliment is when someone says, I took my mum to see Baby Driver and she commented on the sound. Like that to me is like, that's like, that's great. That's if, you know, when non-industry people are noticing the sound for the good reasons. Absolutely. If, right. if that's, that's, that's our job and, done. And, you know, the sound was talked about in a lot of the reviews for the film. Yeah. Which is also really gratifying because a lot of people don't, don't, don't call out what we do. Yeah. And, and uh, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's lovely. It's lovely that... Someone said to me after the Oscar noms, it's great that a movie like Baby Driver is recognized because it's great for the industry. When there's a movie that sound is an important part of it, it's great for all of us. And, and, and I'd never thought about that, but I, it's great, it is. It, it's great that what we do is celebrated. And I'm very lucky that I'm one of the people that's kind of you know, the flag bearer for this movie, but it's just great that there is a movie, you know, and there's been, you know, m movies throughout, you know, my time doing it where I've, I've gone, that is great. And it's yeah. great that, that, you know, it makes, inspires me to do what I do better because you want to match that, you know, get up to that bar of, of excellence. Absolutely. Well, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you, um, so uh, this is, it's going to sound like a little bit of a sidetrack for a second, but we just, uh, we just supported at Dolby, um, the opening of a new, uh, a brand new screening room at the Sundance Film Festival, and we uh, helped them outfit it with Dolby Atmos. And as they were finishing building the, this brand new 500 seat screening room, um, uh, they 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 said, you know, what's a movie that we should run to kind of shake out the room and, and the system? And so I asked around, and everybody said, run Baby Driver uh, because it's a fantastic, <laughs> it's love a, it. It's yeah. a fantastic Dolby Atmos mix. So that was actually the first movie that got played in this brand new screening room at at the Sundance Film Festival. And uh, you know, for me, w what I wanted to ask you about was this your first time working in Dolby Atmos? Yes, so, uh, natively, it was my second time. Only working in Atmos, I think. On Mad Max, we did an up mix to Atmos, but certainly the first time, and and the only time so so far right. of doing it native. Now, when you say for people who don't know, working natively in Dolby Atmos, so you were were you were you sound designing in a in a seven dot four dot one room or no, how, just set, just a seven one room. Okay. Uh, and to be honest with you, I didn't really think at that moment when editing and, and doing stuff in my cutting room, Atmos was not on my radar at uh, all, okay. uh -huh. particularly. Uh, 
But as soon as we get in day one on that mix stage, then we start to have, you know, I feel like maybe my inexperience with Dolby Atmos was a good thing because I would, you know, I would just, you know, have fun with it. Sure. You know, and I, and, and Brian here said to me, because I came here and had a day with him to learn about the kind of technicalities of it. And, uh, you know, he, he said, just whatever you do, don't do it for the sake of doing it. Don't just pan stuff for the sake of doing it. But because we had this great environment like that coffee run where, you know, as Mary's saying, you've got these kind of 180 camera moves and stuff. And you can move stuff around very seamlessly. Yeah. And also, for example, whenever Baby's listening to his music in his earbuds, we use the height speakers and we're actually listening. The, the music is much more around you in the height and the surrounds than, again, traditionally you would, you would, you would have it. And then when Stephen's Stephen Price's score plays, that that's then thrown much more in the traditional left, center, right, and just pull back a bit to get a bit off the screen. But the but the but the music that the baby listens to certainly when he's listening in his earbuds, it's kind of all around us and and, and uh, you know fully immersive. Yeah, well, well, I you know I, to me it was a fantastic Atmos track, and and you just did exactly what I was hoping you'd do, which was you know the Atmos track is on the Blu-ray disc and it's it's streaming. Um, uh, and some of the services in Atmos. So I, I, I wanted to kind of hear you call out what people could potentially listen to uh, if they have an Atmos system at home in, in the track. Uh, oh, that's that's a good question. Um, I would, I tell you what, I tell you it's a very good uh, thing to listen to. There's a sequence after Tequila when they go back to Doc's hideout and it starts off with him saying bananas. Bananas is nobody. The, nobody. Nobody called with bananas. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So we do a we do a thing in that where every diegetic sound in that scene is then becomes part of the score. So it starts off with the light switch flickers, light switches, which they go kaching, 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 and then we put them up in the in the height and the surrounds, and they stay there and they they flick around on the in the score, and then. The bag drops, the squeak from his chair, and they all happen. And it's in—it's mostly within the Atmos environment that that stuff happens. And you pull them up in the overheads. Yeah. And interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, actually, that was a perfect segue because there was another thing that I wanted to ask you about is that I think is really distinctive about Baby Driver is um, because when people think about the music of Baby Driver, obviously there's a tremendous amount of source music, but there's also score yeah. in there as well. Great score. And I wanted you to talk a little bit about sort of, you know, and you talked about this at the beginning with the tinnitus, but where, you know, the, that juxtaposition of the sound design with the source cues with the original score and how did all those pieces kind of fit together? Yeah, and I think originally Edgar was, uh, it, there was no, I think originally and, uh, I don't think I'm wrong in this in saying this. Edgar, there was not going to be any score. It was every track I think was going to play from beginning to end with no edits, and there was going to be no score with a completely song yes song driven thing. Uh, and then uh, Edgar gets into post production and he calls up and he's after a little something and and uh, he asks Steve you know to 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 do something and of course as soon as Steve starts doing the odd little thing, Edgar's like, hey, that works really well and it's. When Can I have more? Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, and uh, uh, and I kind of feel, you know, I feel like Steve has, you know, because everyone talks about the design and the and the those the great choice of music tracks, but what people don't necessarily register so much is also there's a great score that's happening. I think people think that's part of those of those songs. Yeah, you know, but yeah. it's not. So, uh, this is a great example of true collaboration. You know, 
the number of times when I start a movie and, and someone will say, I want you to work really closely with the composer. And it just doesn't really happen because the composer's off doing whatever they're doing. and They're doing another movie. You know, but because, yeah, exactly. They're doing several other, other movies, which is not the case with Steve. Uh, but, you know, Steve, you know, Steve used to be a music editor. And so I know Steve as just a good friend. And with that comes the being able to speak to each other three or four times a day and for me to throw stuff over to Steve and for Steve to be able to work like that sequence I said about, for him to work that into the score or for him to uh, try the tinnitus idea in the held strings, that only comes when you know someone well enough. And it's the same with the picture editors and Edgar, you know, we've, we've all done these this before sure. and we all have this shorthand and there's no fear of, there's no fear, fear of, suggesting something that you feel you're either going to offend someone or you're going to get shot down with that's just a stupid idea yeah so um yeah you know being having both steve and bradley his music editor literally on skype or uh you know on an open line so you can just bounce around ideas you know without that then this would not be possible yeah you know, totally that's great. Well, I do have I do have one final question, uh, and this is for all three of you. Um, er, earlier today, I put out a I put out a call on social media for all my for all my my film nerd friends. Uh, if anybody had any questions uh, for the nominated teams, and I, I did get one in. Uh, I'm, I'm. Oh, that was it was a, it was a hotline then. Yeah, you got one yeah. in. And, and, no, no, I got I got several in, but one 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 that I wanted to pitch to you guys. Um, obviously, somebody asked, "What are you guys wearing to the Oscars?" Oh God! What a good question. <laughs> so this is a first. This is a first nomination for each of you, or nominations in Julian's case. So it's your first time going to the big show. What do you? Yeah. What do you get? What are you going to wear? Do you? You get? You have your uh, your frocks all all picked out and sorted. Oh my God! Uh, I think it's a trip to the table. Those guys, they're going to wear tuxes. <laughs> well, I, I, I can. I'll let you think about that because I actually know. I have a friend who's a designer, Mark McNary, who who designed, uh, among other things, uh, Pharrell's wedding suit. Wow! And and but so his. Are but, you going to get one of the hats? Well, no, but but Mark's style is not. He's he said to me, I will I will make you something, but it is not going to be a black tuxedo. Now, what he is what he's doing, I don't think he's doing two for me. He's doing me a dark uh, uh, charcoal grey tuxedo. Yeah. If. I chicken out of the thing that he's going to do me. <laughs> and also with the whole uh, Me Too movement, I think if I turn up in something that's, uh, you know, this gregarious thing. Yeah. So I, I have two choices, okay. both of which are being done right. specifically. Sorry, go on. <laughs> Very good. Marion, any, 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 any thoughts on that? Well, hopefully a costume friend of mine is going to take me shopping Sunday morning. And into Monday if it's necessary. So uh, I'm, you know, with what I do, I'm I'm a big online shopper from LL Bean and Merrill. So <laughs> well, yeah, because not my cup of tea. Because in in your job, the most important thing is to be comfortable. Because the work, the hours are going to be long, and you're going to be spending a lot of time on your feet and outside. Exactly. I made that mistake at the Emmys of wearing shoes that. Brand new heels. No, no, no. I won't be making that mistake again. <laughs> well, obviously, you know, congratulations to the three of you on your well-deserved uh, nominations. And it's not just the Academy Awards. You're you're also up for BAFTAs, the British Academy as well. And so you guys will be you guys will be going to London a couple of weeks before the the Oscars. Yeah. yeah. And fingers crossed for you both. So uh, you know, but 
We're also nominated for Cinema Audio Society. Very good point. Absolutely. Um, but it wasn't just the three of you guys that put the tracks together. So I wanted to give you, I wanted to, I wanted to give you guys a, an opportunity to give a shout out to your, to your teams. Well, I had a great team on the ground. James Peterson, my boom operator, Thomas Doolittle, our utility second boom. They both pitched in a lot of times second unit would suddenly decide they needed sound over there and we would divide and conquer because we were in two different parking decks. So it was possible to actually get them over there pretty quickly. Uh, Alex Lowe, Pro Tools play Playback, was just terrific. Michael Clark, who did the scheduled second unit stuff, I feel like he did a really good job. He's, he's nominated for CAS for Stranger Things, and he just helped me do mission control here in Atlanta on First Man with Damien Chazelle. So uh, I had a great team. I had great support. They had great ideas. Uh and fortunately, they're much younger than I am. They have a lot of stamina. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, because it was not an easy shoot. Tim, what about you? Uh, I'd like to uh, say a big thank you to my team at Twickenham, because obviously we pre-mixed the dialogue and the foley there, and also to uh, a great dialogue editor, as in Dan Morgan. And uh, he did a fantastic job. And obviously to Mary as well. Thank you for providing such great tracks. And the thing I'm going to wear at the Oscars is the thing that Julian isn't. The thing that he discards. <laughs> I don't think you'd fit into I don't think we're quite the same size, no, Tim. But I'll tell you what, there's, I'll give you $500 if you do wear the thing that I don't wear. <laughs> That's a deal. <laughs> Julian, who do you want to give a shout out to? I would like to give a shout out to uh, Dan Morgan, who, who Tim has just uh, mentioned, uh, Rowan Watson, Buster Floors, Jeremy Price, uh, Martin Cantwell, and um, uh, I think that's it. I would like to, uh, and Bradley, Bradley Farmer, the music editor, and my wife, who, 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 <laughs> who, who, uh, who was gracious enough to let me leave the family for seven months to go back to London and do this uh, and do this movie. So yeah. Yeah, well, and uh, I, I don't know who all those folks were, but, but your Foley team was in there. Yes, uh, Glenn Gathard, who was the Foley, Foley mixer, and uh, Pete Burgess, and Peter Hansen, and uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's plenty. The, 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 the sound crew collective between all those names, yeah. Fantastic. Well, I think that's, uh, that's about it. So we'll, we'll wrap up here. I wanted to thank you guys for participating. And again, you know, congratulations on your nomination and, and best of luck uh, on, on show night at the, at the Dolby Theater. Uh, we hope that brings you guys good luck. Uh, this is uh, Glenn Kaiser uh, with the Dolby Institute wrapping up our podcast conversation, uh, focusing today on Baby Driver, nominated for best uh, sound editing, Julian Slater, and best sound mixing, also Julian. Julian Slater, uh, Tim Cavigan, and uh, Mary H. Ellis. Congratulations again. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us today, and especially, you know, from Australia and Atlanta and beautiful downtown Burbank. Um, this is Glenn Kaiser signing off from the Dolby Institute and the Soundworks Collection. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.